This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by The Good Book Company, publisher of Future Proof by Stephen McAlpine. Stephen McAlpine is an Australian writer and speaker who specializes in cultural engagement and the church. His new book, Future Proof, is now available. McAlpine encourages readers that we have been given everything we need in Christ to thrive in a post-Christian cultural landscape. Visit thegoodbook.com future to find this book and other resources that will help you engage with the culture in a thoughtful and biblical way and use code FUTURE at checkout to receive 25% off. That's thegoodbook.com slash future. This episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast is sponsored by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation faithful to the Bible's original languages without sacrificing clarity. With its optimal blend of accuracy and readability, the CSB is ideal for the church. Learn more at csbible.com. This is the Gospel Coalition podcast, where we seek to renew the contemporary church in the ancient gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Colin Hansen. Today's podcast is a talk by Ryan Lister and Thomas Terry on creativity and the church. It was recorded at our TGC West Coast conference in October. We began talking a lot about uh, creativity and theology, and as we were talking about it, we, we began to see that there was some serious problems. Uh, I, I've, I've been a creative since I was 12 years old. I, I first started doing uh, music and writing lyrics as a 12-year-old. It was a kind of an escape for me. I, 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 was, I came from a very broken home, and so art and creativity was very much a, a means of expression for me. Uh, I was saved around the age of 18 years old. Uh, and never was discipled, uh, but still always remained a creative. I really struggled as uh, as a young creative Christian in my church, especially one that was not discipled. And for a long time, I, I allowed for my my creativity and my and all things associated with creativity to drive me. Uh, so I wasn't so much leaning on theology or the authority of Scripture. I was just more like doing what all artists do, just living off of feelings. This feels good to me, this feels right, this looks right, this uh, expresses itself in a way that, that resonates with me, so therefore it must be true. Uh, and it wasn't until uh, some men came alongside of me and began to disciple me, I was around 25 years old, where I began to flourish as a Christian. Uh, I began to see uh, the beauty of God's word and its authority and uh, I began to see and appreciate the beauty of his church and uh, this multi-textured, multi-faceted picture of God's people from all different cultural backgrounds and uh, denominational uh, backgrounds and generational backgrounds all working together as this one body. It was this picture of this body Uh, and I fell in love 
uh, with, with God's word and with theology as a creative. Uh, and so I've spent most of my time uh, in the later part of my life uh, attempting to disciple and minister to creatives. And so when we started talking about this disconnect between theology and creativity and the church and beauty, uh, we just really gelled and we decided we would do this Canvas conference. We found it to be very fruitful in terms of uh, young creatives exploring, exploring and trying to reconcile this tension that we decided we would put, put together a book. Um, and so that's why we're here uh, this, this afternoon. We want to talk a little bit about the problem, the problem with creatives uh, and, and, and the problem with the church. Um, there is a lack of trust on both parts. The creative has a significant amount of distrust uh, for the church. Uh, and the church really has a lot of issues with creatives. And for many reasons, they would be right. Hmm. There's a, a lot of things to be concerned about. Uh, but what we want to do is focus on how we can maybe find some reconciliation between the two, maybe give you some practical steps. And so that's, that's our hope this afternoon is to walk you through some of these things. And so... What we want to talk about first is why does this matter? Why does this matter? I wish the PowerPoint worked because it was so yeah, beautiful. It is great. It is great. Yeah. Again, it's wonderful. Yeah. So why the church should care about creativity. Even the animations I had working. <laughs> so why this matters? Uh, first thing is mission. Why this matters. This is the culture that we live in. Our culture uh, receives uh, and learns from creativity. Whether you realize it or not, creativity is the language of the culture. Uh, beauty is the new apologetic. Some years ago, uh, people used to rely heavily on presuppositional apologetics. So where truth determined everything. Well, we live in a culture where beauty determines everything. So it doesn't matter what is true or what is absolutely true. Uh, if it's painted beautifully, that wins the affections of the people. Uh, creatives are the ones who create culture. Uh, and, and all you have to do is just look at pop culture, and that, that'll, that'll reveal it to you. Creatives create culture. Uh, and so there is this conversation that is happening among creatives um, all the time. But this is happening outside of the church because the church is not engaged in these conversations. The church in many ways is still thinking um, in these old school categories uh, of just absolute truth. Now, these are good categories. Truth is, is, is beautiful. Absolute truth is right. Uh, but the church is not talking about beauty. Uh, and, and therefore, it's missing out on what the culture is engaging with and wrestling with. Uh, so, so mission, that's why this matters. And then two, discipleship. Uh, many of us are, are, are pastors in this room. Many of us are, are leading ministries. And so this is part of your shepherding responsibility. It's our job as shepherds and leaders to help creatives submit themselves and their creativity under the Lordship of Christ. So healthy Christians make healthy creatives. It's part of our responsibility is to teach the creative how to use their gifts, one, to glorify God, Two, to use them within the context of the church. And three, uh, use their gifts to engage culture. Okay? Part of our responsibility in terms of discipleship is helping the creative to assimilate in culture but not be completely absorbed by the culture. Okay? So that's why these things are important. So mission 
and discipleship. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, many of you are here, I'm, I'm sure, for a specific reason that you are thinking of these categories. Maybe you are a creative trying to understand your place in the church. Uh, maybe you are uh, a pastor trying to understand creative places in your church. Um, so what we want to do is just sort of draw out a few of the problems, uh, the things that the creatives are thinking in your pews, as well as, if you're the creative, what pastors are potentially thinking about you. So these are going to be a bit, uh, uh, a bit on the ends of the spectrum, and we'll find things in between. But we just want to give you, because we have a limited amount of time, we want to give you both ends of the spectrum there. So, how the church critiques the creative. Okay, so this is thinking about it from the pastoral standpoint, or from the church's standpoint, and how they look at creatives today. Um, one way to think about that is they see them as the money changers in the temple. Okay, think of them as the money changers in the temple. And what we mean by that is that the the creative, uh, what the church sees is that the creative wants the church to be their showroom and gallery for their own pride and their own display of artistic gifts. Okay, so they see themselves, uh, the church sees them as money changers, that they're just using the church sort of as that groundwork. Um, we have text here that we would put up here. I, I think you probably, yeah, I, I, think, I think you probably understand this, this background. So I'm just going to keep going so that we can get through more and maybe get to your questions along the way. So, so that's the money changers. So again, we're thinking about how the church thinks about creatives. The, the other side is they, they're, they're, they see them as prodigals. Okay, so the, the, the creative are the ones who take from the church, take from the church, and then they leave the church. They leave the church in pursuit of their own self-glorification. So they use the church's resources, use that grounding, and then they take off and they never come back. Or they are on the outside of the church and they begin to critique it out loud with all their followers who they have led astray. Okay, so again, this is, you know, on, on, on the larger ends of the spectrum, but this is oftentimes what we've heard in conversations with other pastors as they're trying to think through what a creative is and why they have a problem. This is their critique. And in some cases, they're, they're absolutely right. That's right. So you have, I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you so the back. artist, so... As a, as a young artist in the church, I would see this same pattern, and it, and it still happens today, where you have uh, the, the creative comes into the church, or the artist comes into the church, the church provides for the creative an audience, and this might very well be their first time exposed to an audience, this open audience, the church, but then the creative takes from that audience and all the benefits, sometimes financially, uh, sometimes you know encouragement, esteem. Uh, accolades, and then the creative begins to realize, well, man, I'm flourishing as an artist. I'm outgrowing this very small community or this audience, and they begin to walk outside and seek out other opportunities uh, to to put their creative work on display. Then the creative ultimately begins to turn against the church, saying the church doesn't provide for me what I need as an artist. They're very limiting, and they have all these constraints on me, and so. What ends up happening is that the creative ultimately walks away from the church seeking to find more significance, more meaning, something more satisfying or relevant in different audiences that are outside of the church. So the critique is 
can be a, a legitimate critique. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have anything with regard to the money changers? Yeah. The, <laughs> the money changers, uh, I can understand why the pastors would think this way, but there is a perspective from the, from the artist that also makes sense to me. The, the artist doesn't quite understand the difference between the stage and the sanctuary. So the creative spends most of his time doing what? Entertaining people. Uh, he spends his time on the stage. He is constantly performing for people, uh, working to receive uh, acclaim for what he's doing. But when it comes to, the, in the context of church, they, it, it's really hard for them to delineate between, is this spotlight time or is this dim light time? Am I, am I to play the background? Because I'm so used to playing the, the, the forefront. They're used to entertaining the audience. Uh, and so this uh, is, is a genuine critique. Um, and, and one of the things with the artist is the, art, the artist is unintentionally becoming what we would call a glory thief. Uh, they're, they're taking God's glory um, because they're finding satisfaction in receiving the glory as a performer within the church walls. And so it's, it's hard for the artist to reconcile these two things. So I get it from their perspective, but I also understand the critique. It's, it, it can be a legitimate critique. Yeah, and as we think about what creativity is, one thing to keep in mind is that creativity extends to artists, uh, but it also extends to pastors too. So we don't want to just say artists are the only people who we're talking to in here. So thinking about glory thief and, and these kind of ideas. I remember uh, doing youth ministry a long, long, well, long, long time ago. Long time ago. Thinking about after, after like giving this, giving this amazing speech, which I'm sure was horrible. Um, blowing all these students' minds. I remember walking out thinking, man, I did a really great job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not, that wasn't the point. That wasn't the point at all. And so as you think about it, I mean, your create, creativity, yeah, we, we're, we'll probably cast this most in the, in the idea of an artist, but it's also for pastors, it's for pastors' wives, it's, it's for, for everyone struggling in the church to deal with this concept of, uh, of, of stealing the Lord's glory. Yeah, so, all right, so that, that's the church's critique of the creative. Now, here's the thing, the creative, I mean, the church doesn't get off scot-free either. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is from oftentimes from the, the pews at the church now. This is the creative sort of lobbying its critiques at the church itself. So probably the uh, sort of the visual that, that, that a lot of times comes uh, to bear is the idea of the church is uh, a bunch of Pharisees when it comes to my creativity. They're a bunch of Pharisees. So what we mean by that is that the church is making up all these rules that aren't necessarily in line with scripture, that is trying to kill my creative gifts. Okay, so we hear that when we talk to creatives. Yeah, don't listen to this, don't listen to that. Yeah. Are well, you I, telling them not to listen to me? Well, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's fine. I mean, when I first became a Christian, I, I was saved in this small church, and uh, they, were, they were really sweet people, and I love them for sharing the gospel with me. But they didn't quite know how to file me because I was like this hip-hop kid, uh, just rapping and, you know, all that stuff. And so the, I remember distinctly maybe two, three months after I became a Christian, they told me that, that hip-hop is of the devil. And, uh, you know, all the things that I was doing in terms of using my gifts was satanic. But that freaked me out. I was like, well, okay, well, I don't want to do devil music. So... so I, I a sense what, what happened here is instead of investing in me, 
and helping me to redeem this gift that God has implanted in me with words and, and melodies and symmetry and all of these things. They just kind of boxed me out and said, That's, I don't, we don't get it. We know that there's some evil connected to that, but we just don't want anything to do with it. And I think of how much more I would have thrived uh, in the context of, of, of this congregation if they would have just helped me to redeem this gift that God has given me. Uh, so that's what we mean by that. Yeah, and so you have you have this Pharisaical issue, but you also have a second one, and uh, this takes a little bit of thinking through. But they see uh, the, the creative is saying, you know what, you guys are a bunch of idolaters, because what you're doing is you're using my gifts, you're making my gifts an idol on which you are building your own platforms. So they begin to see uh, the church or the pastors as people who are actually exploiting their gifts taking what the Lord has given them to use for the church, and it's not necessarily that the church is using it for the Lord's glory, they're actually using it for their own personal gain. Okay, so that's another critique that we've heard. Yeah, you, you, it's interesting that the exploitation of gifts only really works when the gifts benefit the church, right? So you typically see this in design or PowerPoint or video, the things that make sense, those are the, the gifts that really get exploited among creatives. Uh, but this idea of idolaters, it actually is this kind of cult of personality. It's this attractional model. It says, if I just have these creatives in my church and I, I get to use all of their creative gifts and their aesthetic, well, then we'll be known as a very hip and relevant church. And so we can use the creative as a vehicle to attract people to our congregation. And, you know, then the creative feels that tension, feels the exploitation of that, feels used in many ways and, and passed over. Like they're not investing in them as a whole or the totality of the person. You're only taking from my gifts so that you can prop up, you know, this attractional model church. And so, yeah, so that's, those are the problems. Those are the problems. So what we want to do is we want to respond and talk about how Christ actually has reconciled this relationship between the two. We, we want to say that the gospel is big, it's powerful enough to reconcile us to God, and it can reconcile us one to another, from the church to the creative and the creative to the church. Okay, so just a couple of ideas here that I just want uh, to sort of build out for you. Uh, the first idea is Christ's work, his very work in the gospel, is actually creative work. It's creative work. Okay, so oftentimes, I mean, so I'm coming from a very lectern-based world. Library carols, you know, stacks of books. And when we talk in the seminary about what uh, the gospel is and what salvation is, we talk about it in terms of forensic, legal, legal justification, all these categories. And very seldom do we think about it within terms of beauty and creativity and what Christ has done. But when you get to your Bibles, you see that this is an element. So it's not, it's both and. It's not either or. It's both and. That, that forensic work is beautiful. Okay, And so the Lord is after all of us. And so Christ's work is creative in that sense. So... Just to give you an example, Christ, uh, let's see, do you, let's see, do you have, yeah, so this is where the PowerPoint would have been really, really helpful. Oh, well. Oh, oh go up. 
Up, there you go. Up here. <laughs> Look, I could even make it bigger. Yes, you could. It doesn't matter to them. Just read that. Read, read that verse. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8, 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, crafted, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, so Christ's work there, that idea of being his workmanship, is building off that, that, that Greek word for poema, that we are created. He is creating us. He is designing us. It's a word where we get our term poem from. So what we see is that Christ's work is about redesigning us. It's about recreating us. It's about bringing that creative element, uh, creative work into our lives by remaking us. So Christ works to redesign our hearts. Ephesians 4, 24, put off the old self. And then verse 24, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, and true righteousness and holiness. This is what Christ is doing. He's creating you. He's creating you in his own likeness. There's a new self that he is making within us. So Christ is redesigning our hearts. He is doing creative work. And just think about what Christ breaks in the world to do. What does Christ come to establish? What is he talking about consistently in the Gospels? The new creation. Yes, absolutely. And what is that breaking in? What does he call that consistently? He is the king of a a kingdom. He's coming to build a kingdom. He's coming to be an architect, to design something, to recreate the world, to bring that new creation in. This is what he is about, establishing a new and better kingdom. So Christ's work is creative. So what he comes to do is tied to a creative reality. And secondly, Christ's work, his creative work, reconciles all things. So that work reconciles all things. And what, what I want you to hear in this is that when Christ comes to save us, he doesn't just come to save our heart or our soul. He comes to save every aspect of who you are. And that includes your creativity. So, so, so oftentimes we in the church, I'm including myself, we, we sort of shortchange or we pigeonhole sort of the power of the gospel. And what I want to say is that God's, that the power of the gospel is bigger than the, the ways we oftentimes think about it. So Christ reconciles everything, including your imagination and including your creativity. And that's huge for a creative to hear. A creative typically does not hear that in the church. It feels like we're talking a totally different language than those who are sitting in your pews coming from the world from this bent. But if you can say with Paul that Christ has reconciled all things, including the way you do your designs, the way you think about the world, well then now you have someone who is given to following God and giving God glory through everything that they do. That Christ's work extends into every aspect of your life. It comes after your arts. It comes after your art. It comes after your work. It comes after the way you think. And so what you've done is you've established a baseline for, hopefully we'll talk about this later, just further discipleship. Like this is what Christ is about. He's after all of you. 
He's after all of you. So Christ reconciles your imagination. He reconciles your creativity. Everything is his now. I mean, think about what the gospel is as a whole. The gospel isn't a track, like, like, like an evangelism track. It doesn't come to you uh, with all these sort of cate- catechized statements. It comes to you how? I mean, how do you hear about the gospel? Yes, you. I don't know your name. Oh. Yes. <laughs> how do you hear about the gospel? Where, where, how, someone has to tell you. Someone has to tell you. And how do they talk about it? They tell you, yes, truth, propositional truth. But where do they get that? From their Bible. They get it from a story. They have a drama that they're pulling you into. Okay, the story of what Jesus has done and accomplished in the world is your story now, too. You're pulled into that. So, so even the way you talk about the gospel is important as you try to think about how to cultivate a space and a place for creatives to engage the gospel in their framework. Now, now let me just take a second here and just put up a protection here. Um, and we can talk about this more when we get into the Q&A. But, but please don't hear us saying that the church is solely for creatives. That's, that's not what we're saying. The church should not be an art gallery. It's not the same thing. All we're saying is this is, this is a cultural conversation going on that you just need to be aware of. And that there are people in your churches now who are thinking in these categories. Just to be, if, this, if we, you walk away from this talk as pastors or people who are ministering to people in churches, and you just have a new awareness of the fact that people are thinking in new and strange ideas, then, then, then we've done our job, I think. Um, so, so, so we want you to see that Christ reconciles your imagination, he reconciles your, uh, your creativity, um, and Christ is reconciling all the world. Okay, so, so that's, 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 that's a very specific topic, creativity and imagination. It's because he's reconciling all the world. What, what, what God is doing through Christ's work is he is reframing, restructuring, redesigning uh, everything, including the theater for the very drama he's making. So picking up on Calvin, the world being the theater of God's glory. What Christ comes to do is to redesign that to remake that so that this drama is not done when you die or Christ returns. It continues on into eternity. So, so Christ's reconciling work extends to your creativity and the things you do in this world that last. All right. So that moves us into, um, please, please, please. What does it move us into? Yeah. Yes. I, I don't know. Those are good points. No, that was good. Go back. Okay. Go back. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not only is Jesus redeeming or reconciling our creativity, Jesus is for your creativity. Okay? Jesus comes to, um, he, he comes to make sure and establish and reestablish your creativity for the glory of God. Okay? It's for the glory of God and for the good of the world. Okay? So you see that in... sort of a vertical dimension, glory of God, and a horizontal one out to the rest of the world. So so just a couple of quick points, uh, because we really want to get to sort of some practical things here. Um, Not not that this isn't practical, but we want to sort of land in your churches a little bit. So creativity for the glory of God. Just real quick, this is what we mean by that. God does not want or need your art. He just doesn't. He doesn't. He wants 
all of you. He wants you and everything about you. He wants it all under his rule and reign. He wants to be the king over all aspects of you, including your creativity. Okay. Now, now let me just say this. This is more than likely, we, and you can correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, but this is probably the biggest issues creatives in your church face. Many of them are in the church saying, this is really, really good, and I'm happy to give God all of these things. But if you could just let me have my creativity and my creative space, then I think that's a good, good deal. So let, let, let me just sort of rewrite your, the covenant I have with you, right? So that you can have these aspects of my life, and I'm just going to keep, keep this creativity over here. Now, now that's, that's a human issue. It's not just a creative issue. We're, we're all doing that in our lives, right? Pastors, you're probably struggling with that or have struggled with that in the past. That there are some things you don't want to submit unto the Lord. Okay? With the creative, it's oftentimes their art. This is my sphere, and I want to keep God out of it. What we want to say is no. For your art to actually be good, to be transcendent, to be connected to something bigger than yourself, which is actually what a lot of artists are trying to do, you need to connect it to the glory of God. It needs to be connected to the one who is your maker so that your creativity actually has a basis. It has a grounds. It has a reason. It has the answer to why. Okay. All right. So, so, so God, is, God is not against your creativity, but he is over it. He is over it. Uh, this, this has this idea of sort of finding freedom and submitting your creativity to the Lord, okay? Finding freedom and submitting your creativity to the Lord, which I think we'll touch on a little bit later. The, the second point is, so, so, so we have creativity is for the glory of God, and creativity is for the good of the world, okay? This is that horizontal streak. Here's what happens, I think, when, when, when these two are together. I think it breaks or helps break the idolatry of your creativity, what we oftentimes do with our creative work is we begin to make it to bring ourselves glory, okay? Or we begin to make it because we're trying to impress someone out there. Which again is about you. Which is again about me and how that makes me feel. So if we connect it to the good of the world as well as to the glory of God, then we are saying that we are putting this out into the world, allowing him to work through it to bring about good things in the lives of those it touches. So it doesn't necessarily serve me. It's actually serving you. It's serving the audience. And hopefully that is connected to bringing glory to God. Creativity is not a selfish act in this framework. You know your gifts. And the church is an expression of God's creativity for our good. So what, I mean, here, here's a great place for the church and the creative. How do you know whether you are gifted as a creative person? How do you know if you have a particular gift that the Lord can use? I mean, where do you find that out typically? Well, hopefully you're finding it out in the church. There are people around you saying, you know, you are not very good at talking to people. You have social issues, right? Maybe you should be doing other things, right? What we want to say is the church can help us uh, uh, give an estimation for our gifts, where they should be lying, and encourage us in those gifts along the way. 
So that, that, that's where the good, for the good of the world, the church actually helps you think through what your gift sets are so they can go out into the world itself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what we can do as leaders and pastors and shepherds, what we can do. Here are some practical ways that we can put Christ's beauty on display. Disciple creatives. <coughs> Disciple them. The, here's a list of some things that the creatives in your church struggle with. And here is where discipleship can help. Okay, So discipleship will help remove anxiety surrounding their art. Number two, it allows them to exercise their creative gifts without pretense. Three, it keeps them from the tyranny of comparisons. This is huge. Number four, it puts the critic in perspective as well as the audience. Number five, it removes their creativity from the center of their identity. Now that is massive for the creative. The creative is always searching for identity in their creative work. And, and that's what discipleship is getting after. It's trying to put you in union with Christ so that everything that is yours is tied to him. He is the one who has rights over it. He is the one who is changing that and transforming that. It resets their motives and gives them a barometer to keep them in check. Number seven, it induces worship and joy before, during, and after the creative process. It's helping them to find fulfillment and satisfaction in what they create, genuinely. Number eight, it ties their production to eternity rather than just this present time and space. Number nine, it gives them an honest and grace-filled perspective of their work and others. And finally, it makes them both responsible and reliant on the Spirit at the same time. Right? So this is what discipleship will help do in the life of a creative. Okay? And so here, here are uh, four ways in which you can uh, disciple creatives. Okay? And if we had the, the keynote, it would have been fresh because you would have seen like the way we worked it out. But it's all good. So, this alliteration. Exercise, equip, empower, and encourage. Okay, exercise. This one, this is more so on the, on the pastor or the ministry leader. See, pastors and teachers ought to be practicing creativity, whether that be from the pulpit or from the lecture hall, they should be practicing creativity because this has the most, uh, possibly, the, the greatest encouragement to creatives. It gives them a real-time uh, application of how to do their creative work. If they can see the pastor or they can see the teacher exercising uh, what they do from a creative space, this gives them the freedom to do the same thing. Okay, yeah. and, and this doesn't mean that you're up there painting a painting while you're doing your sermon. That, that's, that's, that would be really, really hard, one, and you and might... Bogus. Yes, yes, yes. But it's, it's doing what Paul does, okay? So, so you guys have probably been inundated, and you're probably saturated with Second Timothy, right? 
So, so the, just let me just read a little section of what, what Paul's doing in 2 Timothy in, in a creative way. See, Paul is not at, just after throwing words at you. He actually wants those words to resonate and to pull pictures into your head so it lands. So again, it's that reconciliation of all things. He's wanting you to hear the truth, but he wants you to see it. He wants you to smell it. He wants you to see it in all different kinds of all the different senses. Okay, so I am being poured out as a drink offering. Okay, so he's already working this, this, this metaphorical type language, right? The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So Paul is giving you images to demonstrate his perseverance to the end so that it sticks with you. It resonates with you. It's all throughout 2 Timothy. I have a whole sheet here that I could read to you, but again, you're probably saturated with 2 Timothy. Yeah, the, the thing that people miss about the Apostle Paul is he's very much a poet. But if you're only looking at it from a very didactic perspective, that Paul just has these really long run-on sentences, you know? But when you look at it from a, from a poet's perspective, from a different vantage point, it actually is beautiful. Paul is amazingly gifted with words. His wordplay, his alliteration, he's just, he's beautiful. So he's actually doing what we're asking you to do, is to exercise your creativity when you preach and when you teach. And let's just say this, this is really hard. It's really hard for, for, for one reason, and so this is me from on, like on the inside of a seminary. We don't, we don't build that out for you well. We don't help you to see that. So hopefully what this is doing is it's sort of pushing you to sort of stretch those muscles a little bit. And it's just really, really hard to, to, to process things in these categories sometimes. But that's okay. and That's good. Yeah. Yeah, equip. Teach the creatives in your congregation to submit their creativity. And not just their creativity, but like what Ryan was saying, the totality of the, of the creative. Submitted all under the Lordship of Christ. Yeah, so with regard to that, what we want to help people see is that when you are submitting yourself to Christ, you're actually submitting yourself to freedom. Um, if you think about the way artists work or way creativity works, how do you get better at what you do? You don't just sit there, right? Play video games and then you're just going to be amazing at, at being a concert pianist, Right? I mean, how do, you, how do you gather that? How do you take that? How do you become better? You practice, right? You practice. And so what we want to be doing as pastors and as other creatives in the church who have a conception of theology, we want to help them grow in their theological disciplines too. We want to help them show how these things aren't juxtaposed, but they're walking alongside each other. They actually serve one another. So that as uh, what obedience in Christ can do is actually build up and encourage and, and even make your creativity better. Yeah, this had huge implications for me. I mean, I remember I told you before I, before I was discipled, I was a very liberal Christian because I had no theological framework. Uh, but then some men came alongside and discipled me. They began to equip me with theology, with a submission to God's word. And, and it actually did quite the opposite. Everything I was afraid of was that, ah, that's going to be so restricting and it's going to place boundaries on me as an artist. But what it actually did is it opened me up into the transcendent. It opened me up into this cosmic space where I had a, a bigger palette, a bigger canvas to work with. 
because I had an appropriate view of who God was. Before, I had a very small and shallow view of God. He was disconnected from my art. But by people discipling and equipping me, my art began to flourish. I began to find greater satisfaction in the things that I was creating over and against just making things for the critique or scrutiny of, of, of the culture. So, uh, Number three, empower. Think creatively about doing this in your context. Uh, we, we don't know all of, your, all of your contexts, but it requires for you as leaders to think creatively of how to empower the artist in your congregation. So, for example, in my church, we uh, have a, a designer. He's very gifted, um, and he saw, like, our old like church logo and website I was like yo that's stale <laughs> and I've never been one to like impose my uh, aesthetic preferences on the church so I've always just been like it's off limits if it's going to look jank it's going to look jank you know <laughs> um, but I empowered uh, one of the members in our congregation to kind of take ownership of it and he explored it in unique ways that I would have just never imagined uh, he just thinks differently than most of the people in my church and then you have people in my church we're not we're not a very hip church. We're Maybe a few humble beasts, guys. Uh, but mostly just people who are just lay folks. Very, just not very Super creative. Gifted. Super gifted. Super gifted. Um, but, but with Eleazar doing like some of the design work and, and painting, you know, using photography to draw people's attention, draw them in to tell this narrative. Man, people in my congregation were just overwhelmed. Like, this is beautiful. Uh, and so that, that happened by way of just empowering and saying, here, you, you do this work to the glory of God and for the good of his people, and let's just see what happens. Yeah. And here, here's the transition point in that. So it's how well, Th- Thomas's eyes are open to that reality. But all we're asking you to do is when that person comes up to you and tells you that your website is stale, is it? Both yeah. stale and janky. Yes, if it's stale and janky, when that person comes up, don't either one, get offended, or two, see I this. <laughs> that's right, that's right. I made it in 88, right? Yeah, so like. I did the logo in Microsoft. It's, it, says, it, says under, it says under construction still, yeah, yeah. Like, don't get offended, uh, and, and don't just say, okay, here's just another creative trying to bully his way into my church or trying to take over. See that as an opportunity for discipleship. What they've done is they've actually walked into your office or walked into your study or w- come up and gotten coffee with you. To ast- that, and that's relationship time. It's time for you to say, let's do it, but let's do it together. And so now you've got a relationship with this person that, who, who is going to do more than likely great work for your church. But even more importantly, you're walking alongside them, helping them see how what they're doing in the church is connected to the gospel. That's massive. That's massive. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you just, you know, you have one creative in your church and he's kind of all right. That doesn't mean you just give him free reign. Right? That means you, you walk with him and you help him to explore beauty. You, you do comparisons with him. Look at this. You know, create a mood board with him. Allow for him uh, to, to be impressed by the mood board and, and become inspired by it. That's, that's, that's walking with the creative. Uh, so, yeah. And then finally, encourage. This, this is huge. Uh, that, and, and just like we talked about, it, encouraging the artist will help him find massive freedom in servanthood. Right? Uh, 
men in my congregation that, that I disciple who are hyper-gifted, the, the first thing I do is I, I get them serving in different ways. I get them flexing other muscles. Um, because what I want to instill in them is a posture of servanthood. Um, because that's where they're going to find freedom. Because you have to disconnect all the things that are, have messed up their identity. So take, for example, a performing artist uh, who spends all of his time <coughs> performing for people, performing for people, performing for people. Well, that has huge implications. They come into the church, and then you're just helping them to perform for people? That's almost anti-gospel, right? What you want to help them find is your identity is not in your work. Christ does not accept you because of how good you are. Christ accepts you because he has called you to himself. He's made every provision necessary for you. And so you want to reshape their paradigm, their way of thinking. And so that comes by way of encouragement, encouraging them to use other muscles, the totality of them. So I tell dudes that are like, I mean, these guys are amazingly gifted at music. I'm like, you need a vacuum. You got a vacuum. <laughs> Legit. Yeah, stack chairs. Stack, stack chairs. chairs. Yeah. Right? And then eventually move them over to soundboard. You know what I'm saying? And then after a couple years, you're bringing them on the stage. But what you're doing is you're actually cultivating life and you're working on their heart. And I think they might not see it that way in the beginning, but if we circle back to the beginning, the exploitation of the artist, they're going to love you and appreciate you more for being concerned with the totality of them. You know, some of these men are like, man, all I've ever known is people using me for my gifts, right? I get the same thing when I perform in clubs and bars. They perform for me, dance, you know, do, you know, do your song, play your guitar. But in the church, I feel like I'm a part of this family, you know, and I, I say this all the time to these cats. When I go home, like I'm not rapper Thomas at home, right? I change diapers. I vacuum the floor. I make the beds. I take the kids for walks. I, you know, I, I do all of those things. And that's what we should be instilling in the heart of an artist. That will help them flourish as an artist. Because when, when Ryan talked about, uh, you know, all of our artwork being for the glory of God and for the good of people, you teach them how to serve in other aspects, you're helping them build a muscle of, my art is not my own. My art is not my own, it's for others. It, it, they, they see their creative gifts the way that the Bible tells us and instructs us of, of our spiritual gifts. And I do think creativity is a spiritual gift, right? I don't think it's relegated to these few, you know, six or seven, you got to get some hospitality, you know? No, you could, be, you could be creative and that's your spiritual gift, but you're helping them use it for what it's intended for, to serve other people. Great question. Let me I pray for us. You should pray for us. Okay, I was going okay, to. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, Father, we do thank you for the ways in which you cause for us to be creative. We thank you that you've made us in your image to be creative. Mm -hmm. I pray, O oh Lord and God, that you would help us to put it in its right place. Mm -hmm. That we would do all the things that we do with our hands and with our minds and with our imaginations for your glory. Mm -hmm. I pray, God, that you would stop us from doing things that give us glory. That you would help us to play the background. That you would help us to... To, to lay in the cut and put the beauty of your gospel on display and not interrupt the beautiful message of your gospel and your glory. 
Help us, God, to do the hard work of reconciling uh, the church and the creative. Help us uh, to disciple well. Help us to, dis- to disciple from the right place, with the right motives, with the right heart, to seek first the creative's spiritual maturity and flourishing. Uh, because we know ultimately if we get to their heart, we can get to their art. So help us do that, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Gospel Coalition podcast. For more gospel-centered resources, visit thegospelcoalition.org. Support for this podcast comes from listeners like you. Learn more and join us at tgc.org slash donate.